I am Matt Crosser, and I'm on staff here at Island Park, and I was part of the Honduran experience. And uh, while we were there, uh, in the afternoons, we would go to these places called poparias. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a rural grocery store, but also a place where um, you would go for like an afternoon uh, soda or juice drink. Um, and so the missionaries would take us to these different places so that we could try out the culture and kind of see what it was. And about the second or third one, something different happened. And I had heard about uh, this pulpería um, that, was, that was ran by a guy named Alfredo. And a, a friend of mine who's led missions trips there, he actually texted me earlier in the week, and he said, have you been to Alfredo's yet? I said, No. And, um, and so I, I just said, I'll let you know if we go. And so, so we showed up there and, and Alfredo's, uh, taking our orders for drinks. And you saw like some of the Coca-Cola bottles and, uh, they came in, in real glass bottles and, um, with, with real sugar. And, and so they do taste different there. And, and so some of us would get juice drinks, and one of the one of the popular ones you saw the picture of me drinking the one that was banana flavored, and so that was really good. But Alfredo was taking all of our orders, and after most of us had gotten our orders, the missionary said, "Hey, you guys, come over here. Alfredo wants us, wants us to come in." And the thing you need to know about these pulperias is it's not like a store like you you're probably imagining a store. It's a room of their house. And so um, when, when Alfredo invited us in, he was inviting us into his home. And so we, we wound our way through, and he said, if any of you guys want coffee, we're going to have coffee. And, of course, several of us wanted some Honduran coffee. And so he led us all through his house, and, and most everybody went out to the back patio. And the patio was a really nice, relaxing area. And, and then inside the dining room um, uh, is where Alfredo's wife was making Honduran coffee, boil the water, and you pour it over. It, the missionaries joke, it looks like a sock, um, but it's, it's pointed, and you can buy them in the store, and it's this filter that's kind of soft. It's more of a fabric instead of a paper, so you can reuse it. And you put your grounds in that, and you, it's like a, a, a slow pour. If you've had a, a drip pour or something like that here in America, um, it's, it's like that, and you just slowly pour it over into another pot, and it makes coffee. And so it's a process to do this. It takes time to do this. And enough of us wanted coffee that she had to do this like two or three times. So it was really, really gracious for them to do that. We could see hospitality everywhere we went, but there was something really special about the hospitality they showed us, this, this serving that they did for us. And wherever I go, I usually try to use my gift of drawing. Um, as a way to connect, especially if I don't know the language. But even in situations I know the language, I've been drawing pictures um, ever since I was a little kid. I would draw them from other, for other kids. And as I've grown, I've used that as a way to connect. And so I noticed that there was two, two kids that were there in the house. One of them was Alfredo's nephew, who was, who was young, and he still went to the school. And the other one was uh, Alfredo's son, who was high school age. He had gone to the school, but the school right now only goes to sixth grade, and so uh, he had aged out of the school, and, and so I asked if they wanted me to draw a picture. So for the youngest, I drew a puppy, and that was going to go home with him, 
And for the older one, I didn't figure he wanted a puppy. And so I'm asking, like, you want a robot? You want a race car? Godzilla? He bit on Godzilla. And he said, really? You can draw Godzilla? I said, yeah, sure. And so I drew Godzilla. So while I'm drawing these pictures, I'm sitting at their dining room table. It's just a standard. You can probably sit four or five people around it. Round. It's got a regular tablecloth on it. But on top of that is a plastic see-through tablecloth. And in between the regular tablecloth and the plastic one are things like a note they wanted to remember or a receipt. I don't know what it was for, but they obviously wanted to keep that receipt and keep it where they would see it. I noticed they put things in there that they wanted to remember and things they wanted to see. And I thought, man, that's really cool. We need to do that because I tend to put stuff on our dining room table and then Angie wants us to clean it all off so we could host something and and I end up shuffling them into a box and can't find anything. And so if we just put a plastic tablecloth, we could still host and I could still find my stuff. <laughs> but uh, that's probably not what we're going to do. Um, I got up and I went back out of the patio to check on those of us that are out there. And I said, hey, we can, we can go ahead and be getting ready to go and make sure you tell them thanks. And, and we started winding our way through and telling them thanks. And, uh, and I remember looking... I'm walking this way to leave, and I look down at the dining room table, and their son had slipped that picture underneath the plastic thing. And so I just thought, oh, that's really cool. And, and so they served me. I got to serve them, and there was this connection based on the love of God that happened. Um, it, I want you to imagine something for me, because I think it's going to help with what we're looking at today. But I want you to imagine that you're hosting somebody in your home, and maybe this is somebody that's really important to you. Uh, maybe it's somebody you really, really look up to. Maybe it's somebody that you don't often have in your home. Um, I hesitate to say like a mayor or something like that, because anything political is kind of like um, you get electrocuted if you go that way now. But, um, but maybe it's somebody you actually look up to, and you're like, oh, we, we wanted to have them in our home. And so they come into your home, and at some point during the dinner... They get up, you don't really know what they're doing, and they walk over to your welcome mat. Now, I don't know about you, but not the welcome mat inside, but like the one outside, the one where if you've stepped in stuff or whatever, you're cleaning off so that you don't bring it into the house, and you see them go over to that welcome mat, and they pull out an old toothbrush, and they start cleaning your welcome mat. And your first instinct is, no, no, don't, no, please, please stand up. Don't do that. Or... Even worse, maybe, is you, you see that they've left the room because maybe you have a few people and you've lost track of somebody, so you kind of wander through the house and you walk by and you see the bathroom doors open and they've kneeled down in front of your toilet and they're cleaning your toilet. That, oh, that's what, you don't want them to do that. That's not what they came there for. You, you wanted to honor them. You, you wanted them to do this. You respect them. You don't want them doing this. There's a little bit of, uh, do they think I didn't do it well enough? Or there's a little bit of, why would they do this for me? Okay, so go ahead and it, we're, we're going to talk a little bit, but I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be in, starting in verse 1, and we're going to kind of explore that a little bit uh, when we get to John 13. But before we do that, I just want to go over a couple things. Uh, in Honduras, most evenings... We ate in an upper room, which I thought that was really, really cool. I don't even think it's something that came up, um, but the whole time I was imagining 
was this like uh, an upper room, like where um, the, the disciples ate with Jesus, the Last Supper? Is this that kind of upper room where they're waiting for the Spirit to come um, on the day of Pentecost? Was this that kind of upper room? It had an outdoor stairwell. And so if it was raining, you kind of had to maneuver so you didn't get wet as you're going down on the nights that it rained. Uh, but inside, you weren't really inside because there was windows all around with no glass. There was like some ironwork and things like that, so you couldn't like fall out easy. But giant windows, which meant the wind came in, but also the sounds. You could hear animals, farm animals, neighborhood animals. You could hear people sometimes. You could hear music from other people's homes. And here we find ourselves in John chapter 13 in an upper room before the Last Supper. But this is the evening, right? This is the Thursday evening before Christ goes to the cross. And in this evening, I, I want to imagine what was the average Jew thinking? Because this was not just something going on for the people that we know and love, Christ and his disciples. This was something going on for every Jew in that area. And in fact, the city of Jerusalem would have, would have been packed with maybe up to a million visitors for this week-long event that they called Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so here was this major event, which means every compartment, every dining room or living space would have been packed with groups of people, and you would have heard it. You would have heard the things. You would have smelled the meats cooking and the spices with the food. You would have heard the sounds of, of farm animals, goats and camels and things like that that for them would have been their animals. You would have heard those sounds in the distance. You would have heard cries of laughter and, and songs of praise as they sang the Hillel. This is what they would have been experiencing. But then we, we kind of focused down, what did our guys experience? What was going through their minds? We know that, that Jesus knew what was coming, but we're not really for sure if we knew what was going on with everybody else. Right, right before this happened, there had been an argument, and Luke tells us that all of them argued about who was the greatest among them. This was at least the third time they had argued. The scriptures tell us of three times. My guess is maybe there was more, but this was the three that got mentioned. And this argument of who was the greatest among them, who would get to sit by Jesus when he rose to power, who would, uh, who, who out of the, among them was the best disciple. Um, and, and so here we see um, some, maybe some, uh, some whipped puppies or some different feelings as they're sitting down to, to dinner going, something just happened. Um, and, uh, Maybe there was a little bit of arrogance or a feeling of supremacy. Somebody wanted to be next in charge. The, the, the idea of a servant's attitude was not a new concept for Jesus' teaching. This is something that he was teaching the entire time that he was with them. About a week before this point, in Mark 10, we would read, Not so with you, and said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was after one of the, uh, the, the arguments, the discussions about who was greatest. A little bit before that, in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 30, it says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the road they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. So Jesus has been giving them, they've seen him do service, but directly with them, he's been giving them verbal teaching as to what it means to have this servant heart, this servant attitude. And now he's going to show them what he meant. So if you get your Bibles open, verse 1 of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter's really good about diving all in, literally. He stepped onto the water, if you remember that story. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Okay, so back to this washing of the feet. This was something that the lowliest of servants would have done. This is something they would not have wanted Jesus to do, not one of them. This is something that would have been a shock to the eyes and to their mind, that Jesus was down on the ground 
who they've called Master and Lord and who they've come to know as the Son of God and God Himself, and they see Him down on the ground washing their feet, their dirty feet, uh, in Honduras for a week, and by the second day, uh, we would take naps every day. By the second day, I went to take off my shoes, and I pulled the string on my sneakers, and dust just went everywhere. It was very dusty. Dirt roads. It's in the dry, the drier season. Um, a lot of dust and dirt. When the kids would run, you would see clouds of dust, kind of like Pigpen from Charlie Brown. There's dust everywhere. And, and when I was asking some of the missionaries, what was some of the things that's hard to get through? One of them said the dust. It gets in everything. And if you don't, if you don't watch it, when the dust clouds get really bad, it gets into your house and it gets into your, your couch and, and on your things and there's dust everywhere. This was a, this was a civilization in Jesus' day where dust was everywhere and they were sandals and the dust would just be encrusted and they would take a bath. They wouldn't necessarily wash the feet because they're going to be going back out and, and they're just going to get nasty, dirty. But when, when you sat down at a meal, a servant would come and wash your feet so that you'd be clean for the meal. They did not want Jesus to do this. But he was giving them an example. And I, I think that it's really important to kind of think about who was there. Thomas, one who would, be, who would be known most for his inability to accept the truth of Jesus' resurrection without seeing it with his own eyes and touching his scars with his own hands. He earned the nickname Doubting Thomas. John was sitting next to Jesus. He and his brother James were two of the ones that and their mom had gotten involved, and they were saying, well, who's, which one of them is going to sit at your right and your left? And this idea of who's greatest, uh, Jesus had told him that his place of prominence would be experiencing persecution because of Jesus' name. John was sent to exile. Then there was Peter, who reacted dramatically to just about everything, including the foot washing by Jesus, and he would also deny the same relationship with Jesus three times over in the next several hours. Peter would be restored in his faith and become one of the most well-known leaders of the early church, but he wasn't there yet. And Judas. Have you ever thought about that? Judas got his feet washed by the creator of everything. What do you think was going through his mind? Do you think he squirmed? Do you think he thought, I don't know how long I can sit here? Or was he just that far gone that he was just like, look at him. That's where he should be. I, I don't know. I really don't know Judas's motives, but I know that he was probably had a lot of thoughts going through his mind while that was happening, as did all the disciples, as would you or I. But I think that we can take some, take some things from that as we try to live out that example. We are to serve those who love the Lord. That's the easy part. We are to serve those who may disagree with us or who need further guidance from us. We are to serve those who might doubt us. We are to serve those who would betray us. This doesn't mean we have to trust them, but we are to serve them. We are to serve those who are in front of us. Don't confuse our role to serve with Christ's role to save. 
Our job isn't to save anyone, but to introduce them to the one who can. Hopefully this week, as you find the people that are in front of you, you can find ways to serve, no matter who it is, no matter how they surprise you, no matter how they irk you or challenge you, find ways to serve. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning that we can come together and worship you and read your word and celebrate the victories and missions that that you've done through our students in Honduras and in Tulsa. Lord, I pray that Highland Park would continue to be a a missions-minded church, not for the sake of taking trips, but because we know that your heart is a heart for all the nations, a heart for all the people of this earth. We, We cannot... We cannot be blind to what you've called us to do, to take your message out, to teach others, to baptize others, to encourage others in your name. God, I pray that you continue to challenge each one of us to do that. Help us to not rest comfortably. In fact, Lord, I ask in the name of your Son that you take comfort away so that you might propel us to do your work. And it's the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen.